2: Welcome in Rose City to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark, joined here by Chris Reifer and a special guest today, uh, newly named Portland Timbers and Thorns CEO, Heather Davis. Uh, Heather, thank you for coming on the pod and uh, sitting down with us today. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me out. This is exciting.
2: So starting out here, um, you know, people who, who may not know you uh, can, can learn some new details in that, you are a fourth-generation Oregonian. You have moved back to to live in the McMinnville area. Now you're a you're a big wine person. Um, you know <laughs> you, you've you've reconnected with your Oregon roots as somebody who who was born in Portland, raised in Aloha, uh, Hillsboro High School, and U of O alum. Um, yep. Just starting out there, how does it feel for you to to be back in your home state and and be here for the long term?
0: It's really exciting and um, I'm I always knew I'd come back to Oregon. I've been always an Oregonian even when I lived on the East Coast. I would always tell people when they asked me where I was from, I, oh, I'm from Oregon but I live in New York or I live in Washington um, So it's been great to come home and to be able to come home and now have the opportunity to lead one of you know the city and the state's most iconic sports franchises is just, it's a dream come true if I'm being honest. Just
1: to to you know make sure we we have our pecking order or, order right. I've got five generations uh, here in Oregon, so oh, so wow. I, got, I got one on you. Uh, also, uh, you this is this
2: is an all Metro League podcast, uh, Metro League
1: only, old Metro League. I, 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 oh. as Ryan yeah, that,
2: pointed out that that's definitely the old Metro. Le- Hillsboro is no longer a Metro League school. Uh, for, that's right. For uh, our, Heather, oh, uh, really?
1: Heather, has since been sent away from the Metro League. Ryan and
2: I, R- Ryan's a Westview
1: <laughs> yeah, alum. There's so
0: many new high schools yeah, out there. No and, kidding.
1: I'm a Sunset yeah. alum, so you know. We we, we, oh, uh, we can, all right. yeah, go, go, go back in, in, in the day that way. Uh, I
0: love
1: it. <laughs> uh, so talk to one little nugget. We, we frequently have, you know, various things, including food made in Portland, uh, uh, segments here on Soccer Made in Portland. So let's have a little bit of a wine made in Portland or the broader Willamette Valley, uh, which is a terrible kind of podcast name, but, uh, let's have a little <laughs> wine made in Portland or the broader Willamette Valley segment. Uh, give okay. us some recs. give us some shouts as, as to where folks should be going.
0: Ooh. All right. All right. Well, um, I feel like I should be getting it. Like, I should put like hashtag ad before this, but um, <laughs> sponsored content. I we all, we really all sponsored sponsored content, content. But you know. <laughs> every,
2: every single uh, episode of this podcast, I have to make the quip that like this is, I, I'm talking about something I love and it's not sponsored content. So yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I would say one of my favorites right now is um, Domain Roy in uh, Dundee, in the Dundee Hills. Excellent, excellent wine. Really showcases the terroir of the Willamette Valley really nicely. And they have a beautiful tasting room. Got some terroir in there, I was, Ryan. I hope you like that. I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I
2: chuckled people who can't see the video, uh, which is everybody. Um, <laughs> can't see. But I, that yeah. that got a chuckle out of me. The, the word terroir yeah. appearing on this podcast as somebody who, who's a wine person myself is is, is a massive moment for uh, yeah. for Soccer main Portland.
0: I'd give um I'd give a shout out to Remy Wines too. So Remy's the new mayor of McMinnville, Remy Dropkin, and she's awesome, an incredible winemaker doing Italian varietals out in the Willamette Valley. Um and just her family have been in McMinnville for a long time and she's um she's a really cool person. She's started the Wine Country Pride Festival a few years ago and just making really great waves out in Yamhill County. So Stop by there too if I were. Yeah, I, I
1: feel like in the last few years there's been a wine takeover uh, within the club between Geo and you. Uh, the, yes. the, the club has made a decided shift toward winos.
2: Uh,
0: it was a little old world, new world. That's right. We have a, We have both going. Yeah,
2: <laughs> definitely. No, and, and as somebody that used to work in Newburgh these are names and and businesses I it, it hits the ear correct for me it's just hearing <laughs> hearing those, so far yeah, so definitely especially Remy Drapkin, you know she's somebody that's been very influential uh, down that that yes. way in, in the Yamhill Valley or Willamette Valley whichever one
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: you want to call it you know shifting gears though to um, some of the the heavier topics I guess that have have been on people's minds uh, in this soccer community um, You know, in your press conference, you talked about how the club is lucky to have Merritt Paulson as the owner uh, and that he cares deeply about the club. Uh, This is something I've heard from other people uh, in the organization as well who work for him. Um, But the concern on the part of the fan base is how do you square that with the findings of these multiple investigations, which obviously have found that um, Paulson and, and people who worked for him you know that he vouched for and, in many ways, enabled the behavior of Paul Riley, who um, obviously is someone who has become the face of of issues of abuse in American soccer.
0: Well, I mean, look we we have kno- acknowledged, and apologized for the mistakes that we made um, in connection with Paul Riley. I wouldn't. At all, characterize what anyone at this club did as enabling him. I think Paul Riley's behavior was abhorrent, and um, and is his alone to own. Um, we, you know, we've moved forward in a way that is um, enabling us to learn from those mistakes and to try and do better as a club. I mean, we did investigate and terminate Paul Riley within eight days of receiving the first complaint. And I think, you know, over the course of the last year, um, a lot of the facts uh, um, surrounding that have been a lost a little bit in, um, in, you know, just the discussion and conversation online. But, you know, in the end, I think we understand that, you know, we have to do better going forward. I think these are systemic problems. And I think the joint investigation absolutely laid that bare. And the NWSL and the sport has a lot of work to do to um, improve their policies and processes and focus on player health and safety in a new way. Um, And we're committed to being part of that. But um, I think, you know, the work that was done in those investigations over the last couple of, or the last year, I should say, you know, have laid the path forward for improvement across the sport at its various levels, and um, and I think that that's what we should be focusing on at this point.
2: For sure, and and you know, obviously, as you said, these were problems that were institutional, down from the top down, whether it be the clubs, the the leagues, and U.S. soccer. Um, these are issues that are, are going to have to be contended with by everyone in soccer, not just women's soccer. Um, you know, you you think about culture generally in, in MLS, uh, in, in workplaces and, and things like that. And, um, I'm wondering how would you, you would respond to, to those kind of issues because we had some reporting, uh, in August that, um, you know, two dozen former employees came forward to us and, and talked to us whether they did so on the record or not. Um, you know, they were expressing concerns about how women and working mothers were treated in the workplace at PTFC, um, I'm wondering, do you believe the women who've come forward with that? And specifically, how will you address the concerns that they've brought forward about you know, workplace culture when it comes to to women and working mothers?
0: Well, I mean, I wasn't here when any of those women worked here. So I can't say one way or the other. But what I can say is that the resounding sentiment from the women that work at this club throughout that um, reporting and that story. And since I have been here is that everything that we have read is not the club we work for. Um, I think women feel valued and supported here. This is a club that was elevating women before I even arrived on the scene. Um, I have a great leadership team and, you know, Sarah Keene, Robin Beavers, Ashley Highsmith, Stephanie Ludwig is the first head athletic trainer, female head athletic trainer in MLS. So, I think that um that doesn't really ring true for the company that we work for now, but I think there's always work to be done. And that's why I think it's really important that I'm in this role and that we have so many women um, leaders in this organization because, you know, you can always do better. And I mean, I think, you know, I was asked at one point sort of what I thought of how these investigations reflect on the NWSL. And, you know, my response is that I think that this is all reflective of American society. You know, we've seen this sea change over the last five or six years, starting with the Me Too movement of, um, you know, women standing up for themselves in different ways. And I think the women in this organization feel that they can do that and that they are supported and um, and valued here. And that's, you know, my mission is to make sure that we continue to, to do that.
1: Uh, one thing that that uh, the club and Merritt Paulson in particular said at the very beginning uh, of this process back in October two thousand twenty one uh, is that the club had had retained attorneys to do sort of a full internal in- investigation, uh, and he made a commitment to make public in summary, form the findings of that uh, of that internal investigation. We've seen, of course, the the cell report and the and, and the Yates report, but to my knowledge. Uh, we haven't seen a public release of any findings from the internal investigation. Can you give us an update on that?
0: Yeah, sure. So we, um, we completed that investigation in 2022. And, um, you know, after extensive conversations um, with the League while the joint investigation was ongoing, we really felt like we wanted to be respectful of that process. That investigation was a really unique Um, situation where the players union and the league were cooperating and they really felt strongly that that was going to be the path forward and that any, um, you know, efforts by clubs or otherwise to release their own investigations would sort of take away from, from that process and detract from it. And so we have declined, you know, we've, we decided not to release it out of respect for that. I think, um, you know, I personally want to move forward. I don't think that I think that the joint investigation that Covington and Wild put out was um, incredibly thorough. We did not dispute its findings. And we think that it is, um, you know, it shows the systemic nature of the issue. And it also lays a path and a roadmap forward for the league. And we felt like in the end it was at, it was so complete that we just didn't really have a lot we could add to that at this point and didn't feel like that, that was um, important for the discourse going forward.
2: Just to follow up on that um, the, when it came to the Covington report um, there was some level of disputing the allegation that existed in the report that the, thorns organization was making the investigation more difficult that they were not cooperating um i'm wondering if you're able to address that issue
0: yeah i mean i think that that was more of a um, criticism in the yates report than then in the covington report um but that's you know we i mean to say that i don't that we don't dispute either of these reports is really um, not to say that we think everything is true or we know everything is true. I mean, obviously, these were incredibly extensive investigations where people that, you know, we couldn't talk to during our own investigation were interviewed. So, you know, we're not um, I'm not saying that, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But I guess um, for us, we we did cooperate with these investigations. We produced over 300 documents. We sat for hours of interviews and. Um, you know there were conversations with our attorneys early on um as you would expect in any investigation over the scope of attorney client privilege and other sort of legal ease but um i think you know from our perspective we we cooperated and i think to be honest the fact that you know both reports um talked about the Paul Riley situation and our investigation and termination of him in 2015 so extensively is really evidence of that cooperation. They had a lot of material from us to work with. The fact that we had a complete investigative record, you know, seven years later, um, is, you know, no small thing. And so I think, you know, the amount of time that they were able, and detail they were able to go into is really evidence of that cooperation to me.
2: And obviously, this situation for you is unique in that you are presiding over these two separate teams, but not both of them in the long term, right? The the plan is currently for Merritt Paulson to sell the Portland Thorns. Um will it be part of your work to to try and I guess create a smoother runway for the next CEO when the new ownership takes over and, and what I guess will that look like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I think we are really committed to finding the right owners for the Thorns. We you know, to us, Providence Park is and always will be the home of the Portland Thorns. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure that they're set up for success here. And they will continue to be really close partners of ours. So, you know, making that transition smooth and easy for the new ownership is in everyone's best interests. But, you know, I think a hallmark of these clubs has been the way that they have come together and work together to, to, make a positive impact on the Portland community. And that's something that we're really focused on making sure we can we can continue and carry forward because I think that that's what has always made this one club so special.
1: Is there anything that you can tell supporters to try to set expectations or or, or at least give them an idea about how this process of, of dividing the club is, is going to take place and on what timeline?
0: I don't really have any details on timeline or or process at this point. We're really early in the process. I think from a fan perspective, it's going to be pretty seamless. I don't think you're going to see, you know, you're, you're going to come to Providence Park and you're going to enjoy games just like you always have. Um, I think the ownership is, you know, largely going to be immaterial to fans um, coming to watch these teams. We will, you know, most likely continue to produce their games because we, you know, operate Providence Park and you know, so it's gonna be the same great, incredible fan experience that you've always had. And um I think the rest of it will be entirely behind the scenes.
1: You know, one thing that that uh has very much happened over the course of the last few years is there are a lot of people who were very much vested uh in in the Timbers and Thorns community. Um, between being not just season ticket holders, but big supporters involved in, in uh, things off the field and the like, who no longer feel that they can do that. And candidly, I'm one of them. Uh, who, you know, up until this year, I've been a Timbers season ticket supporter since basically the time, or t- season ticket holder since basically the time I returned from college. Uh, and, and who no longer feel, you know, they can uh, do that and, and, and have that level of support uh, for the club that they have. they have. What is your plan? for reaching back out to those people uh, and regaining their trust and regaining that connection and, and, you know, convincing them uh, that the things that have gone on over the course of the last few years are in fact being remedied and that this is a club that they can be proud of again.
0: Well, we're going to start to reach out to our fans in new and different ways um, in the coming weeks. I think, you know, we've done a lot. There's been a lot of transparency, a lot of conversation with, our supporters groups, and our fans over the last year. And I think we want to find new and innovative ways to continue that. But in all honesty, I think it's about what we do here. I mean, we are doing the work. And I think giving us a chance to prove that is what we're asking for. I don't know that I'm going to be able to convince everyone just by talking about it. I think we have to walk the walk. and, And that's what we plan on doing I think we have already made a lot of significant changes, as I said earlier today, like these are systemic problems and those require systemic solutions. And just because we put in place processes, um, to address these things, to prevent these things, doesn't mean we're always going to be perfect. I think it's about the accountability and how we address problems when they arise. And I think that is, you know, the proof will be in the pudding there. We'll, you know, we'll continue to do the work and, um, you know, try to prove to everyone that, you know, this is a world class organization that they should be proud of.
1: The the relationship between the club and 107ist, the organization sort of at, uh, at the intersection between the Timbers Army and the Rose City Riveters uh, has been, I think it's fair to say, fraught over the course of the last few years. Uh, do you plan to reach out to them now uh, as, as permanent CEO to try to rebuild some of those bridges?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I think our door is always open for those conversations. You know, we have a lot of fans um, in this stadium that come to these games, and um, we want to serve all of them, and that is a priority for us this year. I think that, um, you know, we are more than open to conversations that the 107ist or, you know, any of the supporters, broader supporters groups want to have with us, and I think we will find um, you know, avenues to open up that dialogue again. But um, again, I think for us, you know, focusing on the the players, focusing on what we do best here and, you know, putting on incredibly exciting soccer and in a positive atmosphere that's supportive of our players on the field is really the priority.
2: And, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't address the fact that um, in getting this position, you become what is essentially the highest ranking uh, female sports official in, in the history of, of Oregon sports. Um, this is an important moment for, for that and for representation. And, and I'm wondering um, as you sit with that, as, as you talk to a lot of the women who obviously were influential in, in your life um, what comes to mind?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost surreal. I, um, I think you know, I do think that it's important to remember that sometimes even in sports, women get jobs because they're the best person for it, regardless of gender. And I do think that that's what Merritt saw in me when he, um, when he gave me this role, but it is so uplifting to have so many women in the organization and from, you know, my past sort of express how proud they are to see this moment. And I think it does matter. I think that, Um, All of this progress matters. Uh, We bring women, bring a different perspective to the workplace and to workplace culture. And I think that's a really important thing for us in this moment. Um, You know, it's no small thing to be a woman running a men's professional sports team. But in all honesty, like it's never even been an issue. I mean, from my first day here, um, this is a club that, you know, has elevated women because they are the best people for the job and they are, you know, quality professionals with incredible backgrounds. And um and so in, in that sense it feels like perfectly normal, but um it's a real honor and I, you know, especially to be able to do it in my home state.
2: For sure. And you know, many of the the changes that, that you have talked about wanting to make are, are- happening in in the view of some in real time right now they you know that you can look at a recent situation as a potential example with uh with the firing of an assistant coach uh for the thorns and and the head trainer uh for for the team i'm wondering um d- does a decision like that come down to you in the end and how do you think that is evidence of progress and growth for the club in terms of accountability and in addressing these issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is what accountability looks like. I think this is what a club focused on compliance and player health and safety looks like. The club followed the processes and policies, the league conducted thorough investigations, we cooperated with those investigations, um and that's what the fans expect of us, it's what the players expect of us, and it's what we're going to continue to do. I think the league, in general, is um, you know still finding its way in how all of these investigations and all of these reporting um, mechanisms are going to work. It's not; it's certainly not perfected. But I think they're you know doing what is right right now and leading with integrity, and and, and that's what we're doing at this club as well.
2: Perfect. Well, thank you um, very much, Heather, for for taking the time with us. I look forward to having you back on in the future, talking maybe some new wineries or other, other uh, food spots you discover in the McMinnville, Newburgh area. I know that 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 area in Yamhill County is bounteous when it comes to uh, great places to eat and drink wine. So
0: it sure is. Well, after this week, I'm gonna to have to go explore a new winery or two this week. <laughs> I see Okda in McMinnville just got nominated for a James Beard Award, so that's really yes, exciting. it did.
2: And another one that was nominated was uh, was Con in Portland, owned by uh, yes, Gregory Gurdet. Yeah, I haven't been to Oh, yet. Uh, Chris, I'm, really, I'm
0: a huge top chef oh, fan, so I really okay. Really there. <laughs> so me,
2: me too. And and uh, my my girlfriend and I actually got a chance to go to uh, Con a, a couple of weeks ago, and then Chris and I last podcast we were we were swapping stories on that so it's That's right. it, Is it great? It, oh it's phenomenal it's, it, yeah it, it's, uh, it's definitely worth yeah. the effort Li- lives up to the hype for sure so uh well
0: maybe now i can get a reservation.
2: yeah yeah it's uh, gonna be bit, uh, it's gonna
1: take some effort we'll see we'll, yeah maybe yeah. and maybe as ceo of the of the timbers and thorns there might be some more some
2: more strings that you can pull to try to get in but uh for us normies uh it, it definitely takes me doing yeah if well, you're in the I, trenches Heather. yeah fighting with us on on the app on the app to like on resi <laughs> to try and get one it's it's a battle for sure but That's i wish great. you luck
1: yeah. I and, and Heather, I, I really appreciate the time that you that you took to come on the podcast today. And uh, I think you have a very hard job. Um, but I very genuinely wish you the, the the best of luck and success in it.
0: Great. Well thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. I hope of it's course. not my last time.
2: <laughs> Definitely not. Thank you, Heather. Big thanks to Heather Davis for coming on uh, and chatting it up in in the early stages of her role as CEO of PTFC. Hopefully, we'll be able to chat with her more in the future, uh, bring her on to, to discuss uh, many of the things that she aspires to do, I guess, in that position. Um, you know, We will move on to some other subjects that have been in the news uh, for PTFC in, in the last couple of weeks. And there is certainly uh, no end in sight when it comes to some of these uh, some of these things that are continuing to pop up. The latest, obviously, being um, Pierre Subrier and Sophie Clough, the trainer and assistant uh, coach for the Thorns, were both fired uh, in the last week, uh, and that was due to two separate incidents of misconduct on the part of, of them. We had Pierre Soubrier giving uh, medication that included codeine to players, uh, without a prescription and including one player without her informed consent. Uh, there was a recommendation for him to be suspended a year without pay. PTFC went further and fired him. Uh, Pierre of course is the husband of Crystal Dunn. So an added layer to that story. And then obviously Sophie Clough's situation uh, during the NWSL championship celebration was found to have kissed a player on the neck without her uh, desire for that to happen. And, as a result, the recommendation was a year without pay, and again, PTFC went further, fired her. Uh, so, two additional instances of misconduct uh, involving that franchise in what has been an extremely eventful 16 months. Um, Chris, I guess, what were your takeaways from what transpired uh, there? Oh, uh, I mean my my first takeaway, of
1: course, was I think what you what you just. Uh, referenced in, in sort of the opening, which is they're just, it seems like it's just never ending. Uh, with respect to the Thorns, I mean, my goodness, they've had their original GM let go. They've had their head coach resign. They've had their head athletic trainer fired. They've had their assistant coach, one of their assistant coach coaches fired, uh, all for different things. All in connection with with different incidents, uh, and and different occurrences, and so it, and it, it is very fair, I think, to point out that that this is probably not just a Portland Thorns problem. That as we know, there have been lots of things in these kinds of veins throughout the sport and throughout the league, and it just seems to keep going, which is, you know, I mean, on, on one level, it's just absolutely gutting, right? Steph, Steph Young, I, I thought, spoke to this well in a, in a tweet where, you know, I mean, we're, we're, it's sort of like we just got new and better diagnostic tools for a disease. And so we're only now finding out sort of how widespread and how serious the disease is but it's absolutely gutting to find out that the disease is as that the cultural issues are as deep and as widespread as this. I, I just, and do we, are we at the end yet? I don't think anybody is confident of that. Uh, and so I, it's gutting that this just keeps marching on. And so there's, there's definitely that feeling and it's a very strong feeling, uh, in, in that respect. But I also think that, you know, the, the other point of, of Steph's point, uh, in that in that tweet is, is right. That we do now appear to have better diagnostic tools. We do now appear to have better treatments. Um, and I, I don't think that, necessarily means that we're going to be able to eradicate what is clearly a very significant and very widespread disease within this league. I think that that probably is more optimistic than I'm willing to be at this point. Uh, but it at least gives me hope that we can uh, and and hope that, that there will be better days ahead in which we will start seeing l- less of this, not because it's going unreported, but be, just because these kinds of things are not happening as much. At the end, though, when you th- when you sort of zoom out and look at the 10,000-foot level, um, you know, based on everything I have, I, I don't know uh, Pierre or Subrie or, or, or Sophie Clough at all, um, but based on everything I have ever heard about them from people who do, they are well-respected and well-liked and were effective and other otherwise effective and and valued members of the organization who nonetheless made these very serious mistakes. And you know, that, that is, that is appropriate and that is right. And, and that's how these things have to go even when it's hard. Um, And even when it, it hits close to home as it has uh, for the thorns. So I have all those emotions. Uh, it it there. I think there's an element of hope to it that I, I think is important and is important to 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 cling to, um, but it's also just a lot of sadness because the culture, clearly, uh, the culture issue uh, was was and and we need to be under the assumption currently is so significant that it is making things. I mean, in this instance,
2: very literally unsafe for a player and for players. Right. And, and, you know, as you said, these cultural issues are pervasive. They are widespread. They are institutional, uh, from the top on down U S soccer and WSL, uh, and within these individual clubs. Um, I think about the idea of hope with this as well. And, and I think that's an important thing to focus on and what, has largely been a 16-month period of relentless despair for people that have followed the Timbers and Thorns when it comes to a club, in their view, not reflecting their values. Um, This instance, the manner in which these issues were handled, different as they were from the horrific abuse that was alleged involving Paul Riley, still were addressed with the level of seriousness forthrightness and transparency that w- one would expect and that has not always been the case for this franchise in the past and And I think that that is reason for cautious optimism if you are a fan of of this club and that the club not only reported these issues right when they happened, but they cooperated fully with the investigations and ultimately went further than the league was recommending they go in terminating these two individuals for things that, you know, as you said, Chris, are extremely serious and in the case of Pierre Soubrier, potentially criminal given the nature of uh the d- Report that the NWSL put out, which said that it was potentially a violation of of federal and state law to administer a prescription drug without a prescription in, in the way that he did. And then obviously the issues with informed consent and then the issue of player safety when it comes to the Sophie Clough situation completely should not be tolerated that type of behavior, especially, especially given everything that has transpired within this specific organization. So I I think that there is definitely in general reason for hope because of the way that the team reacted.
1: I think that's right. Uh, But I, I also want to make sure that we have our eye on the ball for two separate issues or, or at least what I think are two separate issues. I think it is very fair to say that it looks like both the investigative and if necessary punitive, Infrastructure within the Thorns organization and within NWSL looks substantially more effective than it was. Uh, it is very clear that things like this are the kinds of things that were swept under the rug, and they weren't in this instance. And so, I think it, I, I and I think that's important that those investigative and punitive uh, uh, structures are are now substantially more robust than they were. But I also think we can't lose sight of, and I think the, the the league and the club need to be very careful not to lose sight of, the cultural issues that are giving rise to these kinds of events. Because from everything I can tell, Surier and, and Clough are not bad people. And yet there was a culture there in which they did these things that were very bad and and that led to their termination. And so that's a little bit, that's not going to be solved just by having good investigative and punitive infrastructure. That is a cultural issue that needs to be addressed. Simply put, you can't have good people thinking those things are okay. Uh, and that I think is the, bigger challenge now going forward of making sure that that culture in Portland, everywhere in the league, frankly, everywhere in the sport is what we are proactively trying to change because, um, this, I mean, it, it, it can't continue, uh, and, uh, and, and it's not going to be firings that are going to solve it. Uh, it is it is a a deeper cultural issue that it, that i think uh teams need to get at
2: shifting gears to the timbers here uh with with some more um i guess on field focused uh discussion uh the groups are set for the leagues cup we don't know the exact dates yet but we know now that um you know based on what i have heard from from a source with knowledge they'll be played in portland the, the two group stage games and they'll be against the san jose earthquakes so the return of once again of of jeremy ababase for for some big tournament action and then uh, tigres uanl from uh from mexico uh, will be up here as well um, the Timbers have played Tigres once before, and that was back in the uh, USL days. Beat them 3-0. No idea what the uh, the That's makeup of remember. either of those squads looks like. <laughs> not, not really something that you should literally take anything away from, but a, a neat little tidbit for your uh, Friday morning here.
1: Uh so. t- You know, so yeah, it is is a neat little tidbit. I would say I'm aggressively disinterested uh, in the the Timbers San Jose Earthquakes League Cup game. It's like, oh, okay, (laughs) another game against the Quakes. Cool. That (laughs) happens a lot, whether it's an MLS play or US Open Cup play. I mean,. Truly, it would be remarkable if it happened in the playoffs, given that the Quakes are extremely infrequent participants in the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, but uh, that, that is not one that, that necessarily captures the, the headlines for me. The Tigres game is interesting. Uh, Tigres are, are one of the gigantes in Liga MX. Um, they are uh, among the biggest spenders. Uh, in uh, and, and and among the best-funded clubs in Mexico, uh, and they have some legit talent. Uh, probably the the best domestic club player in North America over the course of the last decade has been uh, has been Gignac, uh, at, at at Tigres, who has scored just like a quadrillion bajillion goals uh, in Liga MX, uh, and I may have undershot it slightly. Uh, so that will be fun. Uh, one thing that I think is important to note and that I hope, 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 um, uh, our, our recent guest, uh, and the rest of the timber Timbers organization is thinking, uh, about, uh, and is making plans for, uh, is when it is still a reality that there is a minority and I stress minority, um, because that's not the majority and the vast majority of, of, of Liga MX fans and, and, and Mexican national team fans want to see this eradicated, but there is a minority of fans, uh, when, when clubs from Liga MX come up, uh, who still think it is appropriate to do a homophobic chant when the goalkeeper kicks a goal kick. Um, that's not something that I think the, the Timbers want in Providence park. Uh, I think it is an affront to our community, uh, when, that happens in Providence Park. It did happen um, again with a small majority. Um, excuse me, a small minority um, of an otherwise very passionate and I thought awesome Club América uh, support uh, when they were here for Concacaf, Nas- uh, CONCACAF uh, Champions League. In was that last, was that 2022 or 2021? Who cares? Oh, it's uh, all been like one long yeah, year for that's the last right. three years. So, that's right. Oh, yeah. um, it did happen then uh, the, you could hear it audibly in Providence park and it was ugly. Uh, and so I hope the club has their eye on the ball to make sure that they have the right people with the right training and with the right resources to make sure that that doesn't happen again, because it's, it's, it truly is an affront to our community. Uh, and it, it is a a direct insult, um, to the LGBTQ folks that we have whom we have within our community and, and who are
2: important parts of our community. Right. And who are literally the lifeblood of the Timbers Army and Rose City Riveters like we no tolerance for that stuff. Yeah, Uh, I I agree with that sentiment completely and, and would hope that that would be snuffed out before it even becomes a possibility.
1: And to be clear, I hope all of the all of the Tigres fans who who do not think that's appropriate. I hope they all come. Uh, because I think that makes for for an amazing atmosphere I think there were parts of the atmosphere against uh, against America uh, that were awesome that were amazing and it was one of the most fun games that I've been to at Providence Park uh, for for some of those reasons uh, in in the last bit It's just too bad uh, that there is that majority or that, that that's that that small minority that's gonna
2: that, <laughs> that's gonna you know rain on everybody's parade uh, with bigotry Exactly. You know, an aside, you're having a little trouble with majority and minority today. I get it. They're very, honestly, they're similar words. It's okay. You know, we're we're not words. Generally are just like kind of hard. So (laughs) I don't know, man two guys talking on a podcast agreeing on the fact that words are hard that you see that this is why you come to soccer mate in portland is is for guys that have difficulty with words cutting insights Um, like
1: that words are hard.
2: cutting insights but no i you know more to your point um i think that the fact that those fans travel in as big a numbers as they do and and that it becomes this like experience uh is what this league's cup stuff is all about it's it's really a crossover of of multiple cultures in a lot of ways but also you know an opportunity for two leagues to to go head to head and and go at each other in a way that has legitimate meaning for for both leagues to to be participating in this and it's huge there's a ton of games that are going to be on the schedule. So if you are indeed a North American soccer sicko, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a better opportunity to engage in, in sickery. If that is a word, <laughs> I don't uh, think that's a word, but I mean, w- we've talked about are hard. So it could be words are hard, whatever. Uh, sickery will exist <laughs> within the confines of that tournament. So it should sickoism? be interesting. sickoism I don't know. Sicocracy. <laughs> I'd say we're living in a sickocracy right now. <laughs> exactly right. Um so, you know, a, another Timbers storyline that I found interesting in the past couple weeks, you know, things have kind of just been chugging along for for preseason training. There's not been any major notable injuries. Um guys are working their way back at different paces. They got in at different times, visa issues and everything else. Um it's just been a very normal preseason so far, save for the fact that you know the the club was down in Phoenix for a bit, and then we'll now be heading down to Coachella for a Little Timbers Cella uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and I'll and be down likely there. Instagram insufferability. Yes, there will be some serious if it goes like other like, Coachellas. There will be a lot of Instagram insufferability. <laughs> I'm envisioning like Christian Paredes like s- sitting by a pool and some chonies just like, you know, he's got sunglasses <laughs> on and he's just vibing, you know, stuff content like that. Larisse Mabiala, that's a that's a dude that that's, loves that's right. loves a cool Instagram pic. So he's going to bring it out with the Ex- outfits, except Larissa like. isn't like insufferable. He's actually just like. I'm no, just like cool. it's just a lot cooler than I am. <laughs> he is so. cool as hell. That that is indisputable about Mister Larry Smabiala, But no, beyond the the IG content, it, it'll be a, a good opportunity for the Timbers to get some actual game action in uh, th- three games on the docket down there. So so that's something to look forward to. But in the present, um, you know, I had a chance to talk with Sebastian Blanco uh, out at training earlier this week, and he talked about how hard last year was for him. Now last year ended with him going absolutely ballistic enjoying Argentina winning its first world cup since the 80s and him and his family running around in buenos aires with literally millions of people flooding the streets i mean that what a cool experience that was but you rewind a bit and you know there's more details on this in in the story that i wrote which you can find at oregonlive.com uh and <laughs> essentially Sabo was struggling a lot last year. He was dealing with residual knee pain from the surgery he had in 2020 to repair a torn ACL in his right knee. Um, And for a lot of guys, that just becomes a thing you deal with for the rest of your life, let alone your athletic pursuits. And so throughout last season, he told me that he was in a lot of pain, so much so that... He had to be helped up and down the stairs after games; like he couldn't even do it by himself. Um, and that says a lot about, I think, Seba's dedication that he is still willing to put his body through this to to continue to to play. But I think it gives a greater insight as well into the limitations that he faced last year. That some people, you know, including people on this podcast. Uh, myself included <laughs> leveled toward him and and it's one like an accusation it, it, it's a it's a joint accusation both to <laughs> myself and and to you but but i think that i'm innocent these, i'm innocent you are yeah you definitely have never criticized anybody in the history of this uh, <laughs> this program uh, but no it it in general i i am glad to have heard that from Seba because teams can be so weird about injuries and not communicative at all. And, you know, keep a curtain up on some of those issues. And for him to, to come out and and talk about it, I think is important for context. Uh, And it also adds, I think a richness to his dedication to the sport.
1: Yeah, I think, I I think that's true. And and I look, as usual, I think there are a couple of elements to this. One is you feel bad for, for Seba um, because, I think it. You don't have to watch Seba much to, uh, to just see how much he puts into the game, and to see how he puts his his heart on the field every single time he steps on it, uh, and and so it it's just kind of it, it's it it's just sad to hear that that it that it's become so challenging for him, uh, and that the knee issues made soccer a lot more challenging, uh than than it has been. And so uh, I, I think, and of course, it's, it's always important to keep in mind sort of when, when uh, assessing somebody's, uh, so somebody's performance like that. That said, you know, I think this is kind of what we expected. I think this is that, you know, when there was the extended back and forth about whether the Timbers were going to resign him before the 2022 season, this is why. So I, I don't think this is a huge surprise that that he has had continuing effects for for his knee and I think frankly it's something that they kind of just have to account for uh, as they go forward unfortunately he's just at the point of his career where it's it's unlikely that we're going to see sort of 2021 Seba back in full health and form and so uh, I think that's just sort of part of the reality of 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 kind of Blanco's role in the team going forward, uh, sad as it is, but, you know, also as not uncommon as it is. And they're going to have to make decisions based on that. I think it is it is a, a pretty obvious one that Blanco should be primarily coming off the bench next year. That doesn't mean he never starts, of course, or that he can't start. Uh, I think he will make starts. But, I you know, sitting here before the season, I would say if Blanco is starting more than... 10 or 12 games in 2023, that's probably a bad sign for the Timbers Uh, because if the rest of the team is healthy enough, he's probably
2: just at a point where he's better used both for himself
1: and for the team off the bench.
2: Yeah, I, I think I could definitely see him being like that extra punch they need in the last 20, 25 minutes of a match. Somebody that, I mean, an excellent super sub type of guy, and and, and, and I think they, he'd still be dangerous in that role. This guy, he's be got extremely goals in him. dangerous. Yeah, he's, he's got does. goals and assists in him, no question about it. Despite the pain last year, it was like seven goals, eight assists, and he started twenty games. I, I do That's not right. think he will get close to that number this year. One of the tough things is going to be balancing his competitive desire with the competitive needs of the team, right? Because this is a guy who ever since he has been here has been, and really for his entire career has been unbelievably fiery and passionate and, you know, takes a lot of pride in, in how he plays. And so um, whether he has the kind of relationship with, with Gio and the staff where he's comfortable with that type of role, or he, he might want to, you know, start every few games, who knows? I mean, it, we'll see how it pans out in terms of where they they slot him in but I, I see him much more so as a bench player just just at this stage in his career and the, and the question becomes uh, what is his tolerance of that and and i i hope his tolerance
1: for that is high because i think it's actually better for him if that's the case i mean the the, the reality is he wasn't the same guy in october last year that he was in july and that that's just an uh, un- inescapable reality of where he was in his health and his ability to carry the kinds of minutes that he did through, through the summer, which he started a lot. And I, I think they paid the price for that uh, toward the end of the season. So I, I hope uh, that he is willing to take on that kind of a role, because I think that's the way that he can be effective in February, you know, June, August, and October.
2: Right and you know we we don't know the exact details of his behind the scenes recovery process and how he feels after a certain number of minutes versus not but you have to think that a role like that would make it so that he doesn't suffer as much off the field and and you know the life is easier for him i mean he he talked and it was heartbreaking about the fact that like he couldn't play with his daughters sometimes after games because he literally couldn't even like move because of knee pain the issue going up and down stairs like that's real and that's debilitating and and the mental side of it is hard too for a guy that as we said is so unbelievably competitive um it's a lot to process for sure moving on uh to the uh i guess roster shuffling discussion which is brief because we don't have anything new to tell <laughs> there has you. been very
1: little shuffling since we spoke last there so. <laughs> has been exactly zero
2: <laughs> shuffles occurring uh since we last talked um but you know the the target remains a young dp at the striker position from what i have heard from ned grabovoy uh the question is when something like that might transpire if it transpires at all um I'd be surprised if something like that happened before the season. We still have uh just under a month to go until the opener February 25th, but I don't know. It 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 seems like something that would be a, potentially a mid-season type of acquisition to to stock up for the future because right now they they have Gota who wasn't terribly effective last year but had spurts of efficiency. Uh, and they have Fogasha at that position who um, showed some glimmers of hope as as a young guy who hasn't necessarily proven himself yet and and they're waiting on Felipe Mora who uh, most people I talk to expect would be back probably in the middle of the season probably in the middle of the summer so We'll see, I guess, how it goes, but it's it's a lot of we'll see right now, not a lot of defined targets or names that, that I'm hearing or that I've really seen
1: rumored. It's important to note that the MLS transfer window, the primary transfer window, stays open usually until around the first week of May or the last week of April. So in that respect, there is some time. Now, there is another consideration where if the Timbers need to buy out one of their current contracts in order to make room for this, this young DP – or in order to make room for this young DP and which I think they should be thinking about hopefully some mid season flexibility. uh, They would have to make that buyout, use their amnesty clause, so to speak uh, before the beginning of the season. So that deadline is coming up quicker. If they're going to buy out Yaroslav Nijgoda, which I still think is the path of least resistance to getting that flexibility, creating the space for these new signing and realistically signings that I think they're going to have to make over the course of the next six or seven months. Um, they're going to have to make that call in the next month or so. Uh, and I don't think they can really make that call, frankly, uh, if it's going to be Nishikota, unless they have that young DP striker pretty well locked in. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean he has to be in town by then, but I think that signing probably has to be complete or functionally complete uh, if they're going to cut Nishikota loose. Because if they don't, then they're going to have a long stretch where their only strikers would be Nathan and Dairana Spria. Uh And... Uh, You know, I think the current striker situation is is, is far from optimal. Uh, I think that would be farther from optimal than that. Further from optimal. You know the difference between further and farther? Barely. Barely? Uh, Further refers to metaphorical distance. Farther refers to physical distance.
2: Well, there you go. You know what? I think I knew that. I, I, you know, I'm the kind of person that doesn't memorize the reasons for things. I just, (laughs) I write it. And if it looks right, I'm like, I'm good. That's good. This is a peek into the process here. But yes, no, I, I think I knew that. Okay. Words are hard. Words are hard, but I'm trying to make them just a little less hard for you. (laughs) Thank you, pal. Appreciate (laughs) it. Well, that, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up for us today. You got any, any new restaurants you've been to lately? Any, any. Any food I got nothing I had like a cold last week so I was basically stranded <laughs> in my
1: house uh, which is how oh, we behave geez. now when we get
2: sick yeah I, I don't really have anything either i'm I'm I recently moved so i'm I've just been in the process of transitioning my possessions and my life to a new place so it's just a matter of uh getting comfy and and finding a new nook in my new place to uh to do this podcast so there you go there you go. All right. Well, you go in search of your nook. Uh, we'll let our listeners go, uh, and
1: and you know, uh, carry on until next week. when hope, I mean, not hopefully. Hopefully, there's like just only happy news, good vibes only next time.
2: Yeah. Let's let's get the good vibes rolling. It's getting close to the season. There's gonna be some some fun stuff happening theoretically. So let's let's <laughs> prepare mentally for that to happen. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure to follow us on twitter at soccer maiden pdx uh subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts apple podcasts spotify uh and all other podcasting platforms leave a review if you're so inclined if not i don't really care and uh make sure make sure to tune in next week as we continue to march towards the beginning of the mls season and a little further down the road the nwsl season thanks for joining us